Blog Talk Radio. Duluth, Minnesota, 
and he's a former paramedic and police officer. And, of course, a survivor, he's a survivor as well. So, anyway, you can uh, begin to tell your story now, okay? Go ahead. Okay. Where would you like me to start, Carol? Oh, uh, at the beginning? Okay. Let's do that, yes. Let's start at the very beginning. To the best of my recollection, uh, I was beaten on a daily basis and starved by both of my parents. Uh, At the age of, I believe, right around four, maybe five years of age. And uh, it was a daily occurrence. And uh, became very frail, of course, because I wasn't fed very often. And I had some uh, some physical issues. I suffered from impetigo uh, from the starvation, and I had several uh, wounds, open wounds, that, that were just nasty as can be. Uh, so every day was a struggle for me. I considered suicide... The first time I considered suicide, I was seven years old. And uh, I had a plan on Christmas Eve. I I found an old ice pick. For people back in those days when you used ice picks to defrost your freezer, I found an old ice pick, and uh, on Christmas Eve night, I was going to plunge it into my heart. That's Seven-year-old children shouldn't have those type of thoughts. They just shouldn't. But I did. I saw that as my way out. That was my safety, was to take my own life. Uh, Somehow, through the grace of God, now, I have to say this right early on, I am not a religious man by any means, nor have I ever been. But I live a spiritually based life today. And even when I wasn't ready to believe in God, there was a higher power that guided me through. Uh, I did have an experience when, uh, well, I I was held back in the first grade and the second grade, both years, because I was mentally un- and emotionally underdeveloped. Well, at the end of the second grade holdback, uh, they deemed me as being what they called back in those days as retarded. And so I would have to go to special education for the rest of my life. I, True, I, I couldn't see very well. My vision was rather blurry, and uh, I couldn't hear. My hearing was way off. It took me several years to realize that I'd suffered a number of con- concussions from the beatings. Uh, they thought, the teachers thought I was slow. My parents thought I was slow, and my father referred to me as stupid. Uh, and that, if, if you want to get if you want to get my feet in flames, let me hear you call someone stupid. I take great exception to that. Uh, so as time went on, as a lonely kid, and I was lonely, I was ignored by my family, if not beaten, uh, I had to hide out after school so that it couldn't get me. And in the summer months, I would hide out in, uh, there was one shed just uh, two lots away from us, abandoned shed with a dirt floor and holes in the roofs. Now, this is Duluth, Minnesota, okay? This is not a tropical setting. And I've yet to ever hear anyone say, I can't wait 
to retire and move to northern Minnesota. You're just never going to hear that. So uh, it was cold and uncomfortable, but at least I felt safe. And, and that's where I developed a sense of what safety meant, which is quite twisted, of course. Uh, so I, I was just a sad, sad little boy. But as time went on, my sadness turned to anger, and my anger in a short period of time turned to rage. And then I became a handful for anyone and everyone. I I love to fight. I would rather fight than, than eat a hamburger uh, because that was my outlet. Uh, as time went on, I uh, found myself married to a very sweet woman. Now, I've been married and divorced five times, and, and that's not a point of brag. That's just a point of fact. I had five wonderful women in my life the only mistake they ever made, any of the five ever made, was that they tried to love an unlovable man. And we see that a lot today. Uh, there's more than one victim when it comes to someone who's suffered as, with child abuse. It, it's kind of like throwing that proverbial pedal into a pond, a pebble into a pond, the ripple effect. Uh, a damaged person, which I was, causes other people damage as well. Not all, but in my case, I did. So when I uh, got old enough, well, I, I got involved. When I was 10 years old, I got involved with two different women. These were mature adult women. And that's the only time I felt safe. Again, we're back to feeling safe. And I almost, almost felt loved, but I, I knew I couldn't trust that. And that's where I had trust issues all of my life. Uh, because of that, if there's nothing other than that defines betrayal is when your parents, the people that are supposed to protect you and help you grow and become something, uh, just try to destroy you. And I have to say today is that my father found sobriety when I was 10 years old. And when my dad sobered up, he became a completely different man. But yet the trust had been broken between him and I. And uh, he only lived to be 50 years old. He, he died sober. He'd been sober for 13 years through the Alcoholics Anonymous and the principals of, of that group. And uh, he became a, a really cool guy. And he helped a lot of people with their drinking problems and their living problems. You can't have a drinking problem without having a living problem. <laughs> they just, it, it's a marriage. So uh, I learned to understand as I got older, I started to understand that my parents weren't just insanely cruel. They were deeply, deeply wounded. I had an older brother, two years older than me, that uh, had a blood cancer. And from the time... Now, now, my dad was not a drinker when my brother became ill. So my dad became a heavy drinker, an abusive drinker, uh, after my brother was diagnosed with a life-threatening disease. And uh, my brother was in the hospital. We had to take him down to the university hospital in Minnesota. And he had to live there for two years as they tried to keep him alive. Uh, they did, in fact, keep him alive until he turned 27 years old and, and then he passed. And uh, my dad took that hard, but my dad had been sober long enough, had his feet under him long enough that he knew how to deal with that kind of stuff. And, 
And that's where my first inkling was. My parents weren't brutal, vicious people. They were sick people, severely wounded. Uh, so they were acting out. It doesn't excuse their behaviors by any means, but now it's more understandable. So I, uh, I worked as a rescue paramedic here in Duluth, and I married a gal that lived out west in, in Colorado, and uh, I went out there for a visit during the holidays, Christmas holidays, and it was 70 above after a snowstorm the night before. Well, guess who's moving to Colorado? Uh, so I lived out there for uh, for 40 years. I've been back here in Minnesota now for 12. And people, I've had people say, you're a whack job. What are you doing back here? It's all for the love of a good woman. And, and that's my answer. Uh, I, I have a wonderful woman in my life today. And she gets me. And I've known her for, for many, many years. But uh, so... There's a number of blessings, but where, where my recovery, as a police officer, and I went on a lot of, I worked a gang unit in an area that which was quite underserved by all of society, so there were a lot of poor people slammed together in this community, and uh, I would go to a child abuse or domestic abuse calls several times a shift, and uh I was counseled on a number of occasions because I was there to help usually the female that was being beaten and the child, but I also went there to extract my pound of flesh. And truth be told, I took several pounds of flesh. I'm not proud of that, but that's the way I operated at that time. And I would tell these guys after I heard them and before they got, before they got to go to jail, they get to go to the hospital and I would tell him I say if I have to ever see you again under any of these circumstances you're going to look upon tonight as a night at the prom I promise and I was brutal I, I was I was vicious is what I was and uh, I should apologize for that but hopefully in my small way I got to stop some of the abuse both to spouses and to children but uh the day oh, of my reckoning let me let me sure. ask you something about that okay i'm curious about that sure. i had anger issues too heavy duty and um but by your you know you're already a police officer um and you had all those issues inside because that's what we do okay we have these issues inside until we you know get the help that we need and hopefully we get the right help okay so when you were beating these people, okay, and I'm not saying they didn't deserve it, um, you know, back in the day, police officers and even people that worked in detention or whatever, yeah, at times they'd, they'd snap and they would beat the person. But I don't know if that uh, is going to stop, you know, the uh, the violence in them, okay? Because well, absolutely. Uh, you know now remember. Yes, I was still a man of extreme drink during those years. You know, I okay. never went to shift under the influence, ever. Right. But right. I was of the alcoholic mentality, and I was not clear thinking, of course. I was, in some respects, I thought I was a damn good cop. And mm-hmm. I, I, I helped victims of crimes, of traffic accidents. I was very proactive in supporting them. 
But when it comes to a bad guy, I dealt with him harshly. Now, understand, with these five marriages I had, I never told any of my wives about my childhood. None of them knew. So I had to I had to hide that because that would make me look weak and invulnerable. That's just was my mentality. I'm not saying it's everyone's, but I think there's other gentlemen like myself that, that have to feel they have to do that too because it's it's a point of shame to admit that you were beaten, even though you were just a child. So yeah, I was out of control. Uh, I went to three different police departments uh, because of my, uh, let's say, my aggressive actions. And the day of my reckoning, I'll never forget it, it was August 7th, 1991. I was sitting in a basement of a friend's house because my wife had just kicked me out. And that was my fifth wife. And I came out of an alcohol-induced blackout, although I was fully conscious. I wasn't of, of mind, of solid body or mind. And I had this caustic taste in my mouth, and that caustic taste was a gun oil from my duty weapon. Mm-hmm. I had my weapon in my mouth because I was just done. I contemplated suicide since I was a little boy, but this time yeah. this had to be it. I've had all the pain I can possibly take. And... Uh, that caustic taste kind of snapped me out, and I look. I took the gun out of my mouth, and I looked at it. Now, I already knew I was going to get fired the following two days from then. My last department was going to fire me. I, I put the weapon down and looked at it and said to myself, either I did it right today or I pick this back up and I finish the job. Well, that was August seventh, 1991, and through the grace of God and the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, I've been sober for 32 years now. So yeah, thank God for that. I want I want to go to um, I want to go to Lori because what we do on the panel here, I know I, I remember writing you, I remember sending you an email, but um, and I, I think I probably had put some idea in there as to how the show runs. But what I what we do here at NASCA, have you been on before? I kind of remember the story. Have I? You think you, yeah, have you? Yes. I've been a guest, uh-huh. uh, I think, four different times. Oh, okay. That's why I remember your story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Because um, I've been here 13 years, all right? So uh, I've been here a long time. So I was probably on maybe a couple of times. But this is so I important. I know you were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and your voice is story, very unique. Well, thank you, honey. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we had such good shows, and we still have good shows. So, you know, what your message here is very, very important, David. I'm going to go to Lori in just a second um, because, you know, so many of us are so filled with anger, and I was in fights all the time, but I was being bullied, all right, because I, I didn't have enough clothing. I wasn't being taken care of at home the right, proper way. And I had to suffer all those many years. And finally, by the time I was 17, I just, you know, slipped my wrist and I said, screw it. I'm done. Okay? So yeah. I know that. And I know what it's like to be hungry. Because at one time, I had I was living with a pedophile. And, and uh, he was getting me every day just about, just about. And I was there for a year and a half. 
and um, they weren't feeding me properly, and I get so hungry at night, that gnawing feeling in your stomach. You know what that feels like. Yes, I do. You know, your body is, is crying for food. So I would go down, and I'd uh, get biscuits out, dog biscuits. They had this beautiful German shepherd, and... Um, I'd give her one, and I'd eat one. <laughs> and they'd never count the bottles of Coke. So I decided I'm going to, uh, in those days, it was Coke. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So I, I would have a bottle of Coke, and I would have a dog biscuit, and then I'd scoot up to bed. So I know, I, I get it. I know where you're coming from, and I understand that anger. I just wanted to get that across to you. Because, you know, sometimes when we go through so much, and I want people to hear this too, when we go through so much, yes, we either become inward or outward, okay? And I was outward. I was going to have to fight anybody that was going to give me a hard time, and I had to. And I, I felt during that time the kids became scared of me, and they left me alone. So I get it. Okay, let's go to Lori, okay? Lori, go ahead. Um, I'm very glad that you came on. Um, uh, you're very good at telling your story, obviously. And as Carol said, we do have a lot in common. Um, the way you grew up is the way I grew up. Uh, you know, we were like beaten, starved, totally like thrown out as dirt and any kind of thing you were supposed to get as a child you didn't get. And, of course, at around seven years old, being, you know, they think of it as a young age, but with your trauma that you've went through, your thought process speeded up very quickly. I mean, you sped probably up to, you know, 14 or 15 at seven because of all of that trauma. So I know how bad that was. Um, I, the way you were describing how you would hide, I mean, it hit home for me because I used to hide in the shed next door to me. They had a double plot, and it was an abandoned shed, and they just broke out some of the boards in there, and I would stay in there for hours every single day just to, you know, go and just be safe. Or then I would duck into the trees. I built a, a fort where nobody could see me so I would feel safe. As a kid, if you don't feel safe, I mean, the whole world is going to fall apart because you don't know enough about the world, you know. So it's, it is your whole world. But the way you went and, um, you mean, you were delayed starting school. Totally understandable because my sister was the same way. Different reason. I just kind of locked her behind the door for a year and did nothing. She couldn't start either. But I remember going through the process of, you know, her entering school, her difficulties. She was not a regular, um, I guess, high intelligence compared to my brother, myself, and that side of the family. Um, and that was because she, too, was starved. And she was beaten, oh, my God, more than I was beaten. I don't, I don't even know how she lived, uh, how she made it through. But it takes a special kind of person with the, the personality that you have, you know, because you couldn't have done it if you were a, a weak guy. Now, just the, but you know about the ripple effect, definitely, how, you know, it's going to affect every part of your life. So I'm not surprised that you had different relationships at different times. I'm not surprised that you were drinking. I'm not surprised about anything that uh, probably appears, you know, embarrassing to you because you've done it. 
The only two, because I know I have of a cop, he was my adopted family. Um, he was like you. At your or what you call your worst, he just did that um, because it was the way he was, and that's the way he fought what was going on in the streets. You know, he was one who would look for trouble, and he would get violent, and he carried that through. But it was his train of thought. To him, it was just part of the job. But he'd give you the shirt off his back, and that's how you sound to me uh, when you were describing it. So you coming on and sharing all this, I mean, it's going to reach so many men. A lot of men uh, are going to definitely relate to you. So I'm so thankful that you're on here and that you made it. Yeah, I've, I've been very fortunate. Thank you, Lori. Isn't she good? I just love it when she talks. <laughs> I do. But anyway, no, that's right. Um, there's, you know, we have more men now, okay? that uh, come on the show because for so long, I mean, even years ago, I mean, when you started to come on, because I know you've come on four times now, you told me, but things are changing. I think you'll agree with that. I mean, men are starting, I'm going to say starting, okay, to be looked at, that, yeah, they too can be abused, and, yes, they can have gone through, you know, what the women have gone through as children. You know, it can happen. It does happen. And today you do have a voice. And, um You've got a good, strong voice. You have a wonderful speaking voice, and you have such a um, a story, you know, to tell. I can see why you wrote six books. <laughs> okay, we'll, well get into that later. Actually, actually, that's that, that's that's an old bio. I just completed my ninth and final book. Good God! Okay. Well, I know. Oh, I'm sorry, but, but you're not sick or anything, are you? Well, yes. Aww. Yeah, I've. Uh, if I can make it through the night at midnight, I'll be seventy-five years old. Mm-hmm. Wow! Um, and I uh, happy birthday, man. I'm seventy-six, you. and I'll feel bad. Yes. Oh, we're just kids. Yeah. About two years. <laughs> well, we both sound very young, don't we? <laughs> okay, there you go. We do. About yes, two years do. ago, I. I put my toes through the threshold of, of dementia and I was able to hide it for almost a full year. But, uh, now it, and it's not, it's not going to kill me tomorrow or the next day. Uh, but I have problems with balance. I have problems with my vision. That's all part of aging and part of what dementia is. I've dedicated my last two books to my experience with dementia all of my nine novels are my life story. And the reason I have to call them novels is because I have to change some characters' names, develop characters, and change locations to avoid you know, financial liabilities. But all nine novels are about my life. And if there's one, and they run in a series, but if there's one message all throughout is that fear is not real. And I, I write about, on several of my novels, fear is nothing more than an acronym that stands for false evidence appearing real. I believed the lie all my life that I was a bad boy, I wasn't good enough, and therefore I wasn't deserving. No one quit on me more than I quit on myself. Through the 
principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, I had to learn to grow up. Although I was 43 years old when I started to get sober, I learned how to live. You know, I knew how to do a lot of things, but I didn't know how to live. I was the kind of guy that would put out the fire over here waiting for the next one to break out somewhere nearby. And I was always waiting for the next shoe to drop. And I never realized that I could be proactive in my own life and have plans. I never had a plan. I was always reacting to whatever the events were. So I got some great lessons on, on becoming an adult. But now I, uh, I was lifted every year in school. And I went, <laughs> I went to summer school every year. And I had a teacher catch me in the 11th grade. I had a summer school teacher because if you didn't go to summer school, you wouldn't they wouldn't pass you on to the next class next year. And uh, I was a tough kid, and I was heavily muscled, and I had a reputation. Nobody wanted to mess with me, which I very much enjoyed because that way no one could get to know me, the real me. So it was all a facade. Uh, but this teacher wasn't afraid of me, and he was overweight, uh, middle aged, and here you got this. A uh, 17-year-old kid that wants to kill the world, and he kept me after class the second week of summer school, and he sat me down after he sent all the other students home, and he says, "David, you're too bright to, to be here in this class or to even have be a remedial student." He said, "I think I've identified your problem," and I said, "Oh yeah," and I thought I was going to punch him out anyway, so I thought I'll let him speak and then I'm going to drop him. <laughs> he says, "David." He, Pat's my arm. He says, think about what I'm saying before you react to it. But, David, I've realized that you don't know how to read. And he was right. He was right. I I could read words without a problem. I could read sentences and paragraphs and most big words I could pronounce, but I couldn't comprehend anything. I had no comprehension skills. And he gave me what was called back then, I don't know if it's still being used today, this was back, oh, in the late 60s. Uh, the SRA reading labs. And it teaches you through these reading labs. And the teacher says, you should get through three a day. Ignore me. Ignore the class. You do the reading labs. You show me how to use them. He says, you should be able to get through three every day. And after the first week, I was getting through seven and eight every day. And he promised me, he says, at the end of this next three weeks, you'll read on the same level as I do. And he was absolutely right. Wow. That, That's outstanding. Yeah. That, that, was, that man impacted me. And we later in life became friends. We were on the National Ski Patrol together. His, I played with his kids, went to a lot of their family functions. We became good pals. And then when I moved out west, of course, we kind of lost contact, but I've had some, and I have to say this, I've had some wonderful adults try to give me guidance throughout my life. I've had some wonderful people. I had some police sergeants, which are good friends of mine, but they knew I was broken. There's no question about it. And they would try to calm me down and, and use the good voice of reason. <laughs> As I, I just laugh at it and walk away. But, uh, you know, I, my sobriety started my path, but but my path to it. And the reason I write, I write to inspire people like me. I, I I write to touch people, and to help them.
find their purpose. I found my true purpose in life with my writing. Now, my mother passed away in 2009 here in Duluth. I drove back from Colorado service. I was here for a number of days, and I drove back after the service a few days. I, I drove back to Colorado, and I was in Sheridan, Wyoming. And I was buying fuel just off the freeway on this frontage road, and there was a sheer mountain face directly in front of me. Of course, the western states, the air is very thin at altitude. So what looks to be nearby is a distance away. Uh, but something told me I had to go there. Now, I don't listen to those silly voices like something told me. Yeah, I was not that guy. I'm a realist, or so I'd like to think. But something told me I had to go to that face, right to the edge of that face of that mountain. So I started driving, and uh, they have cattle guards in the western states where they where they have free-range cattle, and, and they're steel, sometimes posts, sometimes railroad, ta- or railroad rails, and, and there's several of them, maybe six feet wide, which where the cattle will not step on those. So that's how they keep men, like, so you have a road to drive down, but still keep your cattle in at the same time without having to close gates all the time. So there were several warning signs that said, uh, no trespassing, violators will be shot, survivors will be shot a second time, that kind of stuff. And I've never been one to ever violate someone else's private property in any way, shape, or form. But something was driving me so deeply that I had to go. So I drove through that. I knew I was on private property. I had no right to be there. And I was committing a crime. But the drive was so great. So I, I parked my car as close as I could, and I walked through the yucca plants and, and all the, the lime uh, dust. And I got to this mountain face, and I just stood there and looked at it. And the next thing I knew, I was on my knees with my hands pressed in prayer. Well, that's not me. That's not how I operate. I did when I was a little kid because I had to, but... Uh, I got up and I looked down at the imprint from my knees in that sand, in that blow sand, and I thought, what in the world is going on here? I walked back to the car, and as I opened the door, I turned back, and I looked at this sheer mountain cliff face, and I heard a voice. And the voice said, write the book. Well, I can't even finish a grocery list. Now, Now a voice tells me... And to this day, I couldn't identify that voice. Was that my mother giving me permission? She just passed away. Was she giving me permission to tell my truths? Was it God directing me? I don't know, and it's not important. But I I went home. uh, I didn't even stop at the house. I went right to an office supply store. I bought uh, a large pack of legal pads and uh, a bunch of gel pens. And I went home and I started writing. Well, for five days I twirled my pen and my fingers because how how am I supposed to write? I've never been to college, never took a writing class. There was no such thing as Google back then. Uh, And I was just lost, but I had to keep with that, with direction. And finally I did put put pen to pad. And uh, 68 legal pads later, I had my first book. Wow. And the na- that name of that book is Daddy Had to Say Goodbye. Aww. And uh, yeah. there's a lot of heartache in that first. 
All of my books carry a level of truth. They're all truth. But there's a lot of heartache in telling the truth. But there's also solutions. There's also answers. And uh, this book was very well received. I, I gifted a great number of books, close to a 1,000 books, to uh, paramedics and police officers and firefighters because, you know, they don't they go through all this stuff. They have to see. And then when they go home at night, they can't tell their family because it's so upsetting. So they yeah. just have to eat it. And the suicide rate, and I don't have, I'm not much for numbers. I, numbers can say whatever people want them to say. But uh, there's a great number of suicides in veterans, mm-hmm. paramedics, police officers, and firefighters. That's uh, right because of the that's pains that they've had to realize. Yeah, uh, so that, that's, well, that's well known, David, you know. And, and also even those that work detention. I saw a list once. Had police oh, officers yes, at the yes. top. Yeah. And, 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 and not and to forget them either. I, I apologize, yeah. yes. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, people don't realize that. Uh, every once in a while I like to talk a little bit and ask you a few things. And, and see if Lori uh, has something to say. But that's very, very true. And, and in today's world that we're living in, okay, you can be sure that um, the police officers and even those in detention, you know, and that we had police officers in my detention because those kids committed adult crimes, okay. So I worked right with them. And, um, but, you know, people don't realize the tension, the anxiety, um, and we have feelings, too. You know, yes, we're hardened because maybe we're hardened people anyway. A lot of us go into being like police officers or whatever, and we have the best of intentions. But we can take things more because a lot of us are survivors. I've seen that. But on the other hand, the anxiety level that we feel is pretty darn high. You'd have to be made out of stone not to feel something when you're called to, like I've, I'm called to people's houses at times because it's too much mm-hmm. trouble and I have to get a hold of diapers and I'm saying it that way, okay? <laughs> All right. And, you know, other other areas, and I don't always agree with them. That's why I'm saying that. But, um, yeah, police officers are right at the top of the list. That's correct. Well, I, what I found in a short period of time, I love the job. I truly did. But the moment you pin a badge on, you become the enemy. And not mm-hmm. just the bad guys. You become the enemy, the guy that could put you in jail tonight before you get home for dinner. And that okay. frightens people. And then you have, of course, the bad guys who, who, who are frightened by you. But my experience was my own family turned away from yeah. me. Because I suddenly had a power that they could not win. Right. Although I never, <laughs> I never made statements to that effect. Uh, but your neighbors, your neighbors treat you like I would be at a house party, off duty, and if I walked into a room at this house party, everyone shut They'd up. They go quiet. That see, we yeah. said at the same time. They go quiet. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah. here was the beauty. When I would leave that party, and I was always with, with the spouse, the woman I was married to at the time, when I'd leave the party, I would stagger and stumble a little bit more than I than I needed to. <laughs> you were one because, of them. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 
the windows mm-hmm. filled up with people wanting to see the drunken cop get behind the wheel and drive away. And <laughs> oh my God! So That's I right. do my stagger route. I do my little stagger routine. Go to the driver's door, <laughs> turn back and smile, and my wife would walk around me and she'd get in behind the wheel and I'd close the door. I'd turn around, and blow everyone a kiss, and off we'd go. <laughs> You're a lot like I am. You're a funny guy. I have a lot of humor too. Lori knows that. Lori and I both have a lot of humor. Look, you're either going to be a sad person when you when you heal, when you're on your healing journey, or you're going to turn into a clown. A lot of us have a clownish way about us. Um, that doesn't mean that you turn the clown upside down and you find the frown, which is always the um, statement that comes out so much about clowns, and that's true. But um, because we've gone through so much and we've seen so much and we've been a part of so much and we are like a magnet to certain type of work, because we know we can do it. You see, we walk the walk, okay? And then you don't have to learn quite so much, do you? Because we well, I had to walk. learn. I yeah, had to learn. of course. But more importantly, I had to learn to trust myself. Mm-hmm. No one doubted me more than I doubted me. And uh, when I started writing, again, I had no experience, no knowledge about it, or no tools other than a gel pen and a legal pad. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. I thought, okay, I was directed begrudgingly to write a book. Okay, I'll write the damn book. And mm-hmm. when I get all done, I'll throw it in a, in a box and forget about it. But I have mm-hmm. a friend in, in Colorado that, that read the rough uh, handwritten book, and he said, uh, pal, you got something here. This is more than entertainment. You have a strong message, and it's got to get out to people. And I told him to shut up and stuff. And uh, he stayed. He stayed. He pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. I never had any dream that I would become a published author, right. let alone a nine-time published author. But uh, I've been very blessed. And, and it all. If I wasn't a drunk, this would have never taken place for me. Isn't that amazing? But yeah, I was just it is. a regular guy. <laughs> Just a regular guy, nine to five, went to work, had a nice family. I would have never had this life I have today, which I'm so grateful for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's we have to get get in front of the reason and get behind the reason for why we exist today. <coughs> so it, it's really, you. excuse me. I would like mm-hmm. to tell you about. Uh, I'm inspired by my readers uh, for whatever reason. And I know the reason that I'm not famous by any means, but I have mm-hmm. some strong followers that, mm-hmm. that very much enjoy my books. And uh, I, I have a rather large, and fans sound so phony to me, but I guess that's the word. I have a relatively large fan base in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've made friends with some people. I've made a close friend with one of them. And uh, he's a, a paramedic. Uh, just outside of uh, London, and uh, we're, we're pals. We've talked on the phone before. He's talked to my sweetheart on the phone with her and I. And uh, you okay? Were you sneezing there or what? No, no. I'm, I'm just I just have a little bit of a dry throat. Um, so my my seventh book is titled "Betrayed: My Body Is Killing Me," and this is where I start to tell the truth about about my dementia. 
Right. As I was writing this, uh, my friend Kevin from the UK, the paramedic, sent me a note. He worked for an ambulance service northeast of England. <coughs> Excuse me. And he, he was a supervisor and a trainer and just a neat, neat guy. He's even sent me the uniform applets off his shirt, which is pretty cool. Uh, but uh, Kevin uh, told me about a friend of his that he worked with. Uh, now, England is not a financially strong, may we say, nation. And um, I, I, I can't say anything negative about it, but there's not a lot of human services, let's, let's say that. Uh, for people and and one of the things this gal her name is Leslie Baker and Leslie had a heart condition uh, early in life that was manageable until one day she came up with stage four breast cancer and a young girl I think she's like 36 years old mother of three uh, so Leslie had a drive for uh, defib- portable defibrillators in public places. And she was trying to raise money. They were doing all kinds of things, car washes and bake sales, to raise money to buy defibrillators to leave them in public places with no profit to them whatsoever. Right. Uh, and this was Leslie's baby. She pushed for this. And in speaking with Kevin one day, I said, what can I do to help? And he goes, well, could you send a couple books that we could auction off? I <laughs> said, a couple, you say? Well, mm-hmm. I'm no big deal as an author, but I signed and sent, I believe it was 20 books. Mm-hmm. And, and they sold them, and they sold very well, and they sold them for much more money than what the, what the label price was. Right. Uh, so they bought these defibrillators, and here's something. This, is an, this had to be a God thing. Leslie died on a Thursday at the age of 40, 43, I believe. Wow. The next day, one of those portable defibrillators that she fought for and that they used for my book sales saved the life of a 17-year-old boy. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me why I write, that's why I write. Yeah. I, I, I very much uh, believe in God, you know. I was the only one in my family that did. They were all atheists. So I was a black sheep for, to begin with. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I met Billy Graham when I was five years old, you know, five years old in New York City. And, uh, oh, my. Yeah, and he gave me a Bible, and, and I stood in line to be blessed and forgiven from my sins. I didn't know what I sinned at the age of five, but <laughs> I was in that line, you know. So... um yeah, it was in New York and um, under a huge tent. I'll never forget that. But I want to go to, to Lori. She's going to want to say something to you. I know she is. Go ahead. Um, I got to tell you right off, you are the most humble person I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, because what you've been through, what you've done, and you're just nonchalant about it as, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is my mission. This is what I accept. This is why it happened. You know all that stuff. And you go with it. It's like you're someone who could actually sit around a campfire and entertain the entire night because you're such <laughs> a wonderful storyteller. I mean, I would definitely uh, be listening to what it is 
and what you were doing with your sales. That that is totally amazing. Love, I'm sure you know all the people probably portioning it out, but you're you believe in something and you did something that was so important in this world to so many people that no not many people would know of to actually, you know, buy and purchase and leave it where you did. Because nobody would think of that thing. So right. how it came to you and you following through with it, you made such a, a difference in not just that one boy's life and in so many people's lives. And that's going to continue. So that all yeah. came, like, from you. So I know um, dementia is a hard illness to do, to deal with. I've had my aunt, you know, started with it and then she ended with Alzheimer's. Um, I have brain damage from uh, uh, the concussions I got as a kid and throughout then. And then yeah, about a week ago, I split my head open and it Ooh. actually does do um, damage to you. Yeah, you know, this last time they actually stapled me together which was a kind of weird feeling, you know, after the pain part. And what I did today, uh, my son suggested, he says, why don't you go get, I want to get a magnet, and I want to see if those staples stick to the magnet. Oh, and geez, I'm looking at cute. him like, like you <laughs> cold-hearted, like a little person. And then I thought to myself, Lori, you know, I kind of want to know that answer too. So we bought the magnets. <laughs> I haven't tried it out yet. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I believe but, they're stainless steel. Well, they, yeah, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out. <laughs> oh, you should. So, uh, yeah, be so, careful, though. You could reopen yeah. your wound. Oh, I Maybe I should ask the doctor <laughs> right before she takes them out. Can I not see if the magnet works? Something like that. But yeah. the way you're speaking, like, tonight, you are so comfortable to talk to. And yeah. I am sure each and every one of your books is as, as wonderful as this person now that I got to hear on his fourth time here. This is a real thrill for me. So once again, thank you. And this dementia thing, um, try not to let it get you too down because it's going to take up the remaining space that you still have to do all these other good things. That's how you're going to have to balance it off. Just like nature will do whatever it does. But try not to worry too much about it. Well, you know, it's fortunately, true. I've been so blessed, Lori, that uh, I've developed a, a fair amount of following of, of actual friends, who people I've never met, uh, because of my writings. And uh, we're in contact almost on a daily basis through Facebook, some of us, and... Uh, some want to tell me their story, and I'll listen for as long as I can. I get about maybe two requests a month for people that want me to interview them to write a book about their life, and that's something I can't do. I, I can't fake it like that. Either I know, know it or I don't know it, but for me to report someone else's life and emotions and experiences uh, would just be a big fraud. So I've yeah. always had to turn yeah. them away turn them away and some have offered me a fair amount of money to do it but again uh, that's their stories to tell in their time mm -hmm. uh, not my time so uh, I, I, I love to write I, I truly do I, I believe I've gotten pretty good at it 
I, again, I, I've made friends that I never dreamed I could possibly have. And I've been on a number of uh, shows broadcast all over the country. And uh, it's just it's just always a pleasure. You know, the Coast Guard has had this motto for many, many years. Uh, uh, their motto is, we do what we do so others can live. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything about a Coast Guard rescue swimmer and the dangers the injuries and the deaths that they experience in that small group of rescue people, you would be amazed. Uh, so I developed my own motto, and that is, uh, my brain just went, uh, I do write to inspire, but I want to reach people like me So and let them know that they no longer need to suffer. And suffering is optional almost. But there's people that will never want to change because they can't admit to what they've been through. And, and I think that's tragic. Uh, so I expose myself. Hopefully, others will see that and dare to at least attempt to be honest with themselves and then honest with the people they care for. Mm-hmm. It's got to start somewhere. And it's, it's ongoing. It's currently in action. But uh, I write to inspire people to become who they never dreamed they could be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, fear is nothing but a dream killer. Fear is the most vicious illness that anyone could have to ever live with. And um, so I, I try to circumvent some of that. I, I just try to make whatever difference I'm capable of making. And that's part of my living amends because, you know, I was a bad boy for a long time. And I affected a lot of people's lives uh, adversely, at best. Um, so this is my way of paying it back, not necessarily paying it forward because I've got a large debt behind me as far as my behaviors were. And um, what a wonderful outlet for a guy that – now, I, I haven't been able to read since I started writing um, because I'm always writing. And I dedicate a tremendous amount of time every week, probably close to 70 hours of just writing. And, uh, and what a blessing that is to have that outlet. So I'm, I'm going to miss that. Now, I just had, this is, I think this is really cool. I had this secret dream, a quiet dream, that someday I wanted my books to go into audiobook. And, uh, that happens now. Uh, my first audio book, my first book, Daddy Had to Say Goodbye, will be out and available at some point next week. We're having problems with the graphics of the cover with the megapixel nonsense that I don't understand. But the book has been approved by Amazon and will be available on several different platforms as an audio book. And it's 10 hours, 33 minutes, and 16 seconds to listen to. And uh, I'd like to tell you that I'm very proud of that. But the truth is, I'm grateful. Uh, I can't be proud, but I must be grateful. So uh, a lot of wonderful people were involved with it. So, uh, yeah, I'm not quitting. That is, you know, that's wonderful, though, what you just said, you know. That's wonderful what you just said, David. I'm so glad for you, you know. And that book, I'm going to get it, okay, because I want to read it. (laughs) 
Um, there's so many books to read because so many we, we so many of us do write books, okay? And um, so for your book then to be an audio book, and and so many more people can you know have uh, get their hands on it and so forth. I think that's a treasure. My book made it to Japan. So weird. It did. I never thought it'd go over to, yeah. And you know how I found out? I went to see how my books were selling because now my gratuities or whatever you want to call it, I, I they stopped coming a long time ago. And I, I thought, well, my book, well, I feared my book must be dead, right? So I looked it up and um, I called Amazon. I called Author House. Stay away from Author House, all right? Okay, bad, bad, bad choice here. Um, but uh, she said, oh, I see there's a lot of activity with your book. I see it. She said, hold on a second. So she walked away because I wasn't getting, you know, my money. Right? She walked away and she came back. Can you tell me who bought your book? I do not. Now, how would I know who bought my book? So, I mean, you're being treated so well, and I'm so thankful for you that you didn't get, you know, involved with some weird company that uh, well, you know, I did, did initially. That. I got burnt too initially. Mm-hmm. I got burnt by a by a what they call a uh, a fantasy press, where they want to sell you everything, and you pay for it, and they make a lot of promises. So uh, I'm independent. I'm still an independent. I don't write for any any big. Uh, house at all. I'm not paid to write anything, uh, mm-hmm. so I'm still an independent. But uh, Amazon has been good for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I I could pay a little more to get more publication, but you know, I can only pay so much. I would, if I'm going to spend any more money, I'd rather donate books to to the people that, that I've spoken of earlier. Uh, well, so, you know, I think yeah. we get to a point, David, you know. Like, I wrote my book way back in 2010. See, I, I warn people. I know I, I know that Lori's heard me warn them, too, that when you self-publish, okay, be careful, okay, um, because Author House actually got sued by a whole bunch of people because they weren't yeah, getting any money either. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Um, I never cared about the money. I wanted to get the word out, so I'm not one of those. It's just that I got curious one day, and I went through that with this lady, and, um, you know, she said, well, there's all this activity. Well, do you, and her voice changed. Do you know who bought your books? I go, what a crazy woman, you. So yeah. the following week I looked there, and um, it, here it was all these squiggle marks. You know how the, the Orientals write? They draw pictures or something. Right. You know? So uh, then it said Japan. And then it was in Down Under. Now, my point in telling you this is is because I think, now I've had experiences too that I know are from God. I, I believe they're, they're angels or something. And I know Lori has. And you have, okay? Um, I'm not going to go into detail about mine, but I did have a hand on my shoulder, which scared the heck out of me. I thought it was my mother. And if she saw me praying, honey, she would have whacked me in the head, okay? And as my, <laughs> I was in my bedroom with the door locked scary and that hand had had it had warmth to it i mean it had like weight so i thought it was her right (laughs) although her hand wouldn't have had warmth all right we'll take that back but anyway i turned around it's frightened and ran to the light switch and turned it on there wasn't anybody in there 
And I was praying oh, wow. for the return. I was praying for the return of a girl that we all feared was dead. She and I were down in Newark, New Jersey, which we didn't belong down there. And um, she went back to Newark to this guy with this guy. He got me back home from where I lived on the bus. He was there. She was there. and uh, But she went back with him. And the police couldn't find her. All right. And um, she was gone for weeks, and, of course, we all feared that she was dead. So I got down on my knees, honey. See, you remind me of certain things. I got down on my knees, and I said my prayers. And um, I had that hand on my shoulder. And within not even 24 hours later, she was found. She wasn't dead, but she was close to death. So you see, you know, so you see, I think sometimes um, now – I, I, I've had my experiences, and a lot more than that, which I won't get into. But I think sometimes we're chosen to, to write books or to write music or to write or do art. Um, and all of us at NASCA, I mean, you should see Lori's work. She's phenomenal with the stuff that she does. Um, you know, she makes baby blankets, and, and she hand crochets all kinds of designs, all of them beautiful for the preemies in the hospital. And then also, oh, nice. too... Yeah, she's very gifted, and and pillows, and she will not put her name on it. She does not advertise herself, and she doesn't deliver it. This way they have no idea who's doing all of this work. That's very attractive. I'm I'm very, very proud of her, and and, um, I admire her. You know, how many people do that, okay? <laughs> yeah. I gotta tell Very you, cute. my face is bright red over here. I I love to make her blush. Yes, I do. And um, I, I never had anything but I, like I, this happen to me before. I never yeah, blushed see, before Lord, I came here. I, I love to promote. I love to promote people. I do. And and David, you're certainly someone to promote. And you see, you've had your experiences. Lori's had her experiences. We don't have enough time to go into experiences that we've had. And um, even though I very much believe in God, I was even in a prayer group. I wasn't out there preaching. I'm not one of those either, all right? But I have my faith. And yes, I think, I agree. yes, our faith. And I think that faith is what drives us through. The operations that I've had in my life, I have my gold Jesus on my finger, my pointing finger, and they want to take it off. And I say, uh uh-uh. uh. He goes where I go. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's just the way it is. So they they laugh and they tape it on me, and then I get my operation. But you know, there's just something that is so strongly deep inside of us, and this is why I think we're still alive, because Lori had a tremendous hardship too in her life. Many of them, and I certainly have horrible things, and also, and you've had horrible things. That's why I could relate so much to your story, and. Um, by doing all of these things that we do. And isn't it funny? Because a lot of us are drawn to social services um, in some you know, some way or, or form. I worked with kids. I was in detention. Then I went to detox. I was in a methadone clinic. I worked there. And, and all these things. And Greystone Psychiatric. So, I mean, we're drawn to it because, in, in my case, I walked that walk. So, yes, I had to go to school. They sent me. But on the other hand, um, I don't think if I had a normal life, a normal life, and probably you two could say the same thing. I I don't think I would have done the things that I've done. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, from 
being abandoned or feeling abandoned uh, mm-hmm. can come great things if we're willing to embrace it. But willingness is absolutely critical. At some point, I believe everyone has to decide, am I going to be a victim or am I going to be a survivor? And when I become a survivor, am I going to prosper? That There's another step beyond survivor. Uh, mm-hmm. That's when we take, take charge and control in our life and move forward and, and help others, much like ourselves. And that's what we do. You hear that, Lori? I hear him. Oh, my God. Yeah, I do. Yes. Well, I'm not that's up good. to you yet, but I hear it. <laughs> I'm a little oh, delayed this, this, here. Listen, listen. <laughs> well, listen, there's no yardstick, okay, for any of us of what we do, okay? And I, I think that um, as the situations arise, we just know what to do. Okay. Yes, yes, we do for some reason. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the, my mottos in every of my books, on the back cover of each of my books, and these are large, rather lengthy novels, uh, I write, PTSD, we don't get over it, we have to learn to live with it. Some scars are deeper than surface damage. And, That's right. Yeah. That's right. But we, it's like our, nothing our soul we can, is wounded. It's wounded. But even through this old wounding of the soul, we recover. Yes, we do. With, with desire. Hey, see, listen, honey, we're leaving a message here tonight. All right? Think about it. There are people that listen. They don't want to come on the show. They're bashful or whatever. So and I know of a couple anyway. But you see, what what we know, okay, is that we can, people can heal from whatever it is that they've gotten into. Um, yeah, I was a naughty kid. Um, I don't know if Lori was ever naughty. To me, she's like an angel. I don't know if she's naughty. But I was naughty. I was out on the streets. She's laughing at me. I was out on the streets and, and all this other stuff and did things I shouldn't have done. But somewhere I had to come to the grips and the terms of my life where um, I had to stop drinking too because my fingers were bloating, my kidneys were pounding, and you know what that means, okay? <laughs> I was, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in trouble, huh? And I had to stop popping pills along with drinking when my nuts, I was doing quaaludes, <laughs> okay? It's amazing that any of us are alive. So yes, you see, it it, it's like a gift to us. And I will say from God, okay, you did this, you did that, you did this, whatever, but I'm giving you a chance to help others. And you know what? That's just the way it is. And we we get to feel our goodness. We get to feel our true purpose in life. Oh, absolutely. It was ne- never our purpose to suffer our many ills that came to us. Some we, mm-hmm. we built ourselves, but oftentimes we were victims of other people's ills. But we can recover, and we can do good with our recovery. And that's, that's a God thing. That, that's power. And that's I love right. to help people out. I get emails quite regularly on a daily basis of with troubled people, and mm-hmm. I'll just give them a, you know, a few lines of encouragement because I'm not certified in anything, and, and I know my place, if you will. I'm a novelist. You're certified in life. Yes, you are. You're not giving yourself enough credit. Let me tell you something. I've been to college. I've, I've taken many courses. I had to. There were state jobs. If I wanted to keep them, I had to go, okay? 
Well, in UMD, I had a, um, you know, I had a scholarship, so I, I didn't have to pay for anything except for about $500. I had a partial scholarship. Princeton? Uh, no, they just sent me. They sent myself and a nurse, a registered nurse. And um, because, you know, we had to satisfy the state. That's the only reason why I got my schooling, okay, David. It's not because I sent myself, okay, or I was going to work for it. So they sent me. That's how I got it. But, you know, with this knowledge that we have, you don't have to go to, I hate to say this, you don't have to go to school because I've taught over at universities to police officers, okay, who uh-huh. didn't know enough about child abuse. A, a police officer is called on a case, all right, you got to call. You don't know what you're going to run into. They could be armed, correct? Oh um, yes. You don't know. You don't know what you're facing, and if they have children, you don't know what condition they're in. You have to know what signs to look for because don't forget before you show up. If there's kids, they're warned. You don't say a thing. You keep your mouth shut. Yeah. You act. Yeah. You act normal. Well, do they know how to act normal? I don't think so. What but they do normal? their best. <laughs> right. Exactly, but they want to satisfy mommy and daddy, <laughs> all right, because they don't want to get whacked in the head like we used to, all right? So, um, I mean, there's all these things, you know, that we've gone through that we can teach those, whether they have education or not, um, what to look for, what signs to look for, um, and, and what to do with it, okay? Well, it's it's well hidden, Uh you know, family secrets end up with dead children. Yeah. Uh, because we don't want to embarrass the family. Oh, yeah. This part of the country, and maybe perhaps it's nationwide, but uh, there's a lot of pride here in, in their national, different nationalities. And everything is about appearance. And everything... Is, Everything's about keep your mouth shut unless it's something worthwhile bragging. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of truth. And everyone's smiling and everyone's looking good, but uh, there, there's broken people behind those smiles. And I know there were with me and, and for a number of other people. Mm-hmm. But uh, So I try to be the example, <laughs> not always the best example, but an example nonetheless. And... Some people respond to that, and every day, as far as I'm concerned, is a gift. And if I can extend that gift to other people that might have a need for it just at that very moment, uh, I'm more than happy to extend that gift. So, yeah, I celebrate. I have to tell you, I I met a fellow that you probably have heard his name before. Uh, Do I have a few minutes? Sure, you do. Okay. I... uh, now I was my first book was published by by a vanity publisher. In other words, they sell you all kinds of goodies that they never provide, but you pay for them. So I won a an author's contest, and I went to Las Vegas, and this was being uh, there were 100 of the world's top novelists, and they were there. There were some big names. I recognized their faces the minute I saw them. And I became part of this through the publisher. They were trying to use me because 
I was rather a good-looking kid, and so I was going to be the publicity boy uh, to better sell independent authors. Screw them like they screwed me. But uh, mm-hmm. you get you were given assignments. This was at the Lexor Hotel. So the big-name people were given locations to sit and to sign books because the whole thing was about one week of book signing your favorite authors. And I drew a little teeny mom-and-pop bookstore uh, on the other end of Las Vegas, tiny little town, and there was enough room for me, the, the two owner, husband and wife, and maybe a mouse. And uh, nobody came in to get my book signed, which didn't surprise me in the least. They were very nice people. So the second night, and of course, I, I don't drink. Uh, the first night I stood there alone with a large group of people. Plus, they had their handlers, they had bodyguards, they had agents. They brought their people, and uh, I'm just standing there alone up against the wall drinking my cup of coffee, and no one spoke to me the first night. I didn't get one head nod, one handshake, one greeting. The second night, this tall, goofy-looking guy walked over to me and nudged me. I looked at him, and he goes, is that coffee in your cup? I said, yeah. He says, you're not one of those Elkies, are you? I said, yes, sir, 110%. He says, me too, let's talk. He put his hand out, we shook hands, and we went and sat down at a table and talked for maybe 10 minutes, maybe 11 minutes. Then he had to go. But he says, could I give you a bit of counsel in, in, your, in your writing efforts and, and throughout your lifetime? And I looked at him and I said, well, your name is Stephen King, so yeah, go ahead. Oh, he wow. Told me, oh, wow. Yeah. How could you not know Stephen yeah. King? Oh, my God. Yeah, go ahead. But his counsel was real simple. He said, celebrate your blessings and speak of them often. Wow. That was his counsel. And and Stephen, uh, and I'm not telling anything out of school, uh, he's he's an alcoholic. He's been in recovery for many, many years. But Mm -hmm. uh, he gets it. Well, then the next night was fun because now all these people didn't know who the hell I was and they wanted to find out. One of the things I learned, one of the things I learned the next night, which I wasn't aware of, uh, Stephen King does not allow anyone to touch him. He shakes hands with nobody. And he came to me and and these people were just enthralled, like, who is this guy that Stephen shook hands with? And I played it up. I was challenged like who I was, and I told them where I was from. <laughs> and, they said, and they said, well, you know Stephen King? I said, oh, Steve and I? Yeah, we go back. Yeah, we got history. Then, <laughs> You're like I am. You're a clown. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I left, I left yeah. it at that. But, you know, that was a great experience. And, you know, that I carry that counsel yet today. Celebrate yeah. your blessings and speak of them often. Such such simple, soft, kind words that speaks volumes to people. Lori, we should do a show on that. We could we could we could do a show on that. Celebrate your your blessings. So you know we survivors so often, and those who are not survivors yet, they can't see beyond their nose. They don't they can't don't look at they don't feel like they have any blessings. Just the very fact that they woke up that day is a blessing, but they don't know what to do with it, do they? Yeah, well, some. There were times when I was still drinking, I woke up with a curse word. Like, oh, shit, another day. (laughs) (laughs) I just did. That that was all part of my character. It was part of my lifestyle. And uh, (laughs) And you were very comfortable with it. So was I. (laughs) 
Good. To learn to learn that you need no longer needed to be that person and you no longer needed to live that way. Mm-hmm. And the options are many. Uh, but again, I needed to take charge and take responsibility. Not for what happened to me as a child, because I had no hand in that. But yeah. from that after that, I am responsible to anyone anywhere. Uh, I'm responsible to reach out and to help them if they so choose. (laughs) I don't don't beat the Bible by any means. Uh, If someone comes to me and says they have a concern, I'll be more than happy to sit with them for a period of time. And uh, I'm very much involved in AA. I have most all of my friends are AA members. And, uh, you know, if I wouldn't have gotten sober, I wouldn't have got to meet all these beautiful people. That's so right. That's right. it's you know, how, how, how do you how do I say that I'm so blessed that I got to be an alcoholic and everything like that? <laughs> that sounds a little hey, silly, look, but all this all, no no I hear it because look if you hadn't been an alcoholic okay you wouldn't have had the experiences and and don't forget when you go to AA I did that for a while okay <laughs> but, but anyway the point is okay we hear each other's stories. We hear him, and, right. um, and and we listen. And uh, you know, it's it's amazing though. Speaking a little bit more on the NASCA level, um, a lot of those people in there had the same or similar, all right, similar, not the same, but similar excuses or not excuses, lives rather, that uh, that we had to go through. You know, many many people have been beaten up. Many people have been uh, starved. That was so bad. Oh, God, I hated that. I have a picture of myself like that. Never threw it out And when I was in that place. And, and um, you know, we lived horrible lives. And we come to enjoy then the beauty in lives, you know, in our life that we can see today. Because today we can, as I used to say, smell the coffee or smell the roses or whatever, using that, you know, these little cliches that they used to have. and But today we can because we are healed, okay? Yes. We are healed. Yes. So we can see the beauty around us. We can finally enjoy it, you know. Um, I'm way up in the country, in the mountains, and um, I see a lot of bears and stuff. I don't quite like them, David. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> we got, we've got coyotes. Ow! Okay, we got that too. Yeah, oh, we've got them all here. Yes, we do. <laughs> so I tell my cat that I do that to my cat. This is why you can't go out here. And she gives me oh. a dirty look. I swear to God, and I make that noise, and then she turns and walks away from the door. <laughs> so there you, you go. There you go. Now she understands. I can't go out there. I even have Alexa do that to her. If she walks over to the yeah. door, I'll have Alexa do that. Make, I'll say, Alexa, make those noises. What, what, what does a coyote sound like? And then she'll do it. And my cat will <laughs> walk away from the door. So you see, we have all the, this humor. Now we have humor. Now we're able to love. Now we're able to receive love. Now we're able to give love. And and this is what we've learned along our way, you know, um, I'm alone In because I made two bad choices, all right? I, I still make bad choices, David. Okay. Yeah. And uh, but I'm not really lonely. <clears throat> if I'm lonely, I go out, excuse me, <clears throat> and take a ride, or I go and see people that I know. I think I'm going to my friend's house or my kids' house. I adore my kids. Okay. So I have places to go. I will not go into a bar. 
Not that I no, would be well, tempted. I wouldn't be tempted, I don't believe, at this point. But I feel uncomfortable in a bar, especially if guys are hitting on me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hey, don't you know how old I am? <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> then I'll use my age, all right? But um, I just don't feel comfortable going into that setting anymore. I really don't, to go into a bar. Lori, do you feel comfortable going into a bar? Are you kidding? Do you... <laughs> I was 56 when I first saw my first bar. <laughs> I <was a> well, <laughs> Yes, the goody two-shoes, always taking care of somebody. and didn't have any fun for myself. So you guys were lucky in a way to have all this happen to you because look at all the things that came your way because of it. Me, That's nothing. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I got a handicapped kid, 40 years old. I got a, you know, he's the world. That's just the way it is. God gave me him, so I'm just going along with what God gave me. <laughs> Maybe I'll count in the next lifetime. Aww. Well, I don't know what to say to that, except that you're doing a, a fantastic job, you know, with your son who has so many disabilities. And, and, and believe me, I, it can't be easy. I know that. But yeah. the very fact that you're able to handle it, there's a lot of other people who couldn't, all right, or wouldn't, all right, or wouldn't. So God has given you the grace to be able to and to look beyond your own feelings and your own nose and say, this kid my son needs me. And that in itself is beautiful, Lori. That's why I don't do anything. It's him first. Well, yeah. You can start blushing okay. again because she's got this gracefulness about her. She's another one. She's another one who has grace. And, and uh, she's a biker, so am I. <laughs> so, but we have grace, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but, um, oh my God. But, um, now, I'm, I'm so glad you came on the show, David. I really am, because um, your messages are very powerful. And um, I'm sorry to hear that you have dementia. I'm so sorry to hear that. But on the other hand, you don't know. You could live like that for years. You don't know without, you know, oh, having it really you're affect you. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Yeah, it's, it's not a death sentence. It's referred to as the long goodbye Mm-hmm. Uh, dementia is and and there, there's no way back you can't back out of it there's no medication for it when the brain starts to shrink uh, there's nothing you can do but uh, for me I have to I just have to be cognizant of my behavior because I do get a bit short-tempered at times uh, I do get anxious at times and I've got to just mm-hmm. tell myself to slow it down this is not anyone's fault, not even my own. It's just what happens to someone that's given the blessing to live this long. I have friends that are dropping like crazy in their 60s. And, and, mm-hmm. and so uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm winning. Every day I wake up, I win. You're, no, a, blessing. Not... You're a blessing. That's what he is. <laughs> because uh, you have all of this, you know, all of this, uh, I don't want to say, um, what do they call it, garbage package, whatever, <laughs> I can't think of the word, baggage, here you go. You've got all of this stuff behind you, and, and you've learned from it, and you're able to, you know, move forward and help a lot of people. 
And I think that's a wonderful yeah. thing. I just simply do. I think that's um, that's great. And Carol, that's the operative. It is behind me. Yes, it is behind uh, not, you. I may bring it forward in trying to help another person in understanding their situation and in building a, a camaraderie that I understand where they were, but I don't use it. The excuses are gone. There's no need yeah. for excuses. And yeah. the nice thing about being who you are and telling the truth, you don't have to remember your last lie. Because the truth, you always remember the truth, right? There you go. That's right. That's so well said. It really is. You know. So and, there's know, nothing you, to be afraid you, of. If people well, tell know, me they don't like me, that that's their business. I'm not going to tell them. How could they not like you? How could they not like you? I think you're a funny <laughs> guy, and you have a lot of humor, and I like that, and you have a lot of wisdom, and um, I think you're just handling yourself quite well. Yes, I do, and you sound fine. You do. Yeah, yeah. You sound fine. yeah I, feel, I feel pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still blessed. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm, it's nothing to cry over. It's just something to accept. And acceptance mm-hmm. has always been a challenge for me. You know, mm-hmm. part of the serenity prayer is we accept the things we cannot change. That's change right. the things we can the things that we and can. the wisdom. Yeah. And the wisdom yes. to know the difference. So That's I correct. need to develop the wisdom. Yeah. So I yeah, think it's you not have gonna, a lot it's not of gonna wisdom. beat me. It, you know, it might kill me, but it's not gonna beat me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to you. Right? <laughs> Well, listen, I want you to come on again, okay, because I'll tell you why. Um, No, I'll tell you what. Now, listen, you have so much to offer to people out there that um, are just starting a healing journey. Maybe they are alcoholic, drug addicts. I was supposed, right? Um, And and that's just the way it was. I'm not today, but I was then. um, or, Or maybe I'm something else, whatever the case might be. And, you know, you have all this behind you that you've worked through. And this is what we try to do at NASCA. You talk about solutions in your book. We bring on people who can also offer solutions, okay? And uh, and even by reading your books that you have written, um, there's solutions. It's solution-oriented, all right? Yes. And you, you're, a, you're a witness because you went through all of these things in the past and you're still standing, I love that when I say that. But you're still standing. We're all still standing. Yeah. The three of us right here. And we have yes. horrific stories to tell, you know. And we're ma- we made it. And that's a blessing. And, and that's the importance is that we do tell our stories. Mm-hmm. That's that's how we reach others. That's exactly so right. Self-exposure can be a little spooky in the beginning, but once you find your comfort and you find your drive, your purpose, uh, wow, there's nothing more to be afraid of. There's That's really nothing true. more to be afraid you know, I Sometimes I get frightened in traffic with some of these people in this city, but, you know, <laughs> that's just part of living. Yeah. Well, I get frightened of the bears and the coyotes and the bobcat. We have a bobcat, too. And I think, what oh did I do? Why am I here? <laughs> you know, I don't know. And you wonder, are there two-legged things out there, monsters, or are there four-legged monsters out there? I'm not sure. I own a little bit of property, and I and, and state property behind that. 
So you know I'm going to have a lot of animals, all right? <laughs> yeah. Right. But, you know, so this is a, a new thing for me to be up by this type of maybe monster. I don't know, you know. But um, Silmarillion is very pretty, and it's nice to look at. And um, I'm happy I'm here. I'm happy to be alive, and I know you are too, and, and Lori is, and you know what? I, I think uh, we do quite well. Yes, I do. And it's all and for free. Yes. Yes, it is. It's all for free. See, I'm the night owl. I hear all kinds of weird stuff. I'm up all night long. And people mm. call me, David. They call me. <clears throat> and um, it's frustrating, though, when you get someone who's on the other end and they don't want to heal. They, they're comfortable where they're at because they won't take any um, advice from you. Okay? That, that's yeah. not a good way to be. But I got the 90-second cue. This 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 show went so fast. And, Lori, I know you want to say goodnight. And we want you back again. And it won't even be a year, okay? Very good. So that's what that's what we usually wait, and it's not going to be a year. Lori, say goodnight to David and thank him, honey. Oh, good night to you. Let me tell you, you definitely touched my life, and thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Lori, it's truly really been so my much. pleasure. I, I wish you well, my dear. Thank you. Yeah. Aw, that's cute. All right, so listen. Um, yeah, I've got to shut the show down. Otherwise, we'll just record and there's nobody listening. <laughs> I don't know. But um, <laughs> so um, thank you so much for coming on, and, and we're going to talk to you again soon, okay? Very good, Carol. Thank you so much, and good night. Oh, you're welcome. Good night. Good night. Good night, honey. Good night. Okay, very good.